Thank God for it. And you know, during the service, I'm sitting here asking the Lord. I said, Lord, why did you call me to preach? If you'd only called me to lead worship, I wouldn't have to get on the treadmill and work out every day because I just watched Freddie burn about a thousand calories up here, leading that worship, hopping around. You know, the gospel that we share is not just cross-cultural. Pastor Tim has mentioned all these countries, over a hundred countries are tuning in today to Times Square Church right now. And the gospel goes across all kinds of cultures. But it's not just cross-cultural, it's counter-cultural. Because what we believe in this Bible today smacks in the face of a culture all around us that's gone awry. You know, I was thinking a moment ago about what, what I have seen in my own life and how decade after decade after decade in my own life, I've watched our culture change in so many ways. I was a little boy in the 1950s. Uh, it was an unbelievable, most of you don't know what it was like in the 50s. In every public school, we started the day hearing Bible reading and prayer. Not in the Christian schools, because there weren't any Christian schools in the 50s. In the public schools. It was an amazing time to be a kid. I, we, we, when we played baseball, when we had Little, little League, we had tryouts and not everybody made the team. And I'll tell you something even stranger, not everybody got a trophy. Only the team that won the championship got a trophy. We drank water out of the garden hose. You, you folks in the boroughs drank it out of fire hydrants, I've seen you. And none of us got sick. And the idea that my mom or dad would side with me when I got in trouble with the principal or the teacher at school, it was unheard of. In the decade of the 50s, we were a grateful and a thankful nation in our culture. Hundreds of thousands of men and women had returned from the European War Theater just a few years earlier, and from the South Pacific. My dad fought it Midway and at Guam and at Okinawa. And, and they came home and married their high school sweethearts and started a great baby boom. And that culture, we were so grateful and so thankful in that culture of the 50s. And people came to church in, in greater percentages than ever before. And as always happens, the culture was reflected in the music of the day. And there was a, a singer back then in the 50s who had one of the biggest hit songs in the 50s. Her name was Doris Day. And she sang, Kesarasara, whatever will be, will be. We were a grateful, a thankful people looking forward to a bright future of hope. And then came the decade of the 60s. Now, I was a teenager in the 60s, and I always felt sorry for people who, who were not able to be teenagers in those golden oldie days of the 60s, of bass regions and madras windbreakers and rolled and pleated seat covers and glass pack mufflers. Now, I couldn't afford a glass pack muffler on my old 56 Chevrolet, so I climbed under it with a screwdriver and a hammer and knocked a few holes in my muffler, and it sounded just like all those rich kids on the other side of town. But the 60s was ushered in with some things that dramatically engaged the culture. The assassination of John F. Kennedy, followed by the assassination of his brother, Robert, followed by the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King in Memphis. 
And we watch the culture move from that carefree, quesaras culture of the 50s to one that became more introspective when all these things began to happen around us. And once again, the, 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 the culture was reflected in the music. There was a trio by the name of Peter, Paul, and Mary who had one of the biggest hit songs of the 60s when they sang, the answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. All of a sudden, all those moral absolutes we thought we had to life, all those answers we thought we had, they were just blowing in the wind. And moral absolutes began to degenerate. And the culture became more introspective. Then came the decade of the 70s. Talk about some events that dramatically infiltrated the psyche of our culture. It was like a, a, a left jab and a right cross and a left uppercut all at one time. Vietnam, Watergate, Roe v. Wade. And all of a sudden, the culture changed from being introspective to becoming very skeptical. And everybody became skeptical of everything. In fact, again, it was reflected in the music. Not a few blocks from here. At Madison Square Garden, Billy Joel, the piano man, introduced a new song that became one of the biggest hit songs of the 70s when he sang, Only the Good Die Young. Skepticism infiltrated our thinking processes, infiltrated our culture. And then came the 80s, and Ronald Reagan was elected president, and he rebuilt the military, and the economy boomed, and he talked about that bright, bright shining uh, uh, city on a hill, and, and it was like a little bit like the days of King Josiah when there was a little reprieve and, and, and a touch of revival. And then came the 90s, and the Berlin Wall fell, and the Cold War ended. And then came the first decade of this new century. And again, it was ushered in with a traumatic event that changed the way we live our lives and will change them for the rest of our lives, 9-11. And now we live in another decade of this new century. And what we look around us and see is that what not too many years ago used to slither down the back alleys of our cities and villages and towns of this country, now parades proudly down Main Street. And we look around. And you know what we find in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ? We find a couple of generations that by and large are lost to the church. I preach in a different, different city every Sunday. Last week I was in Louisiana. This morning I'm here in New York, literally preaching to the world from Times Square. Next Sunday I'll be in San Diego. And I don't care where I go, I look around and I see, by and large, not in all places, but most places, a couple of generations lost to the church of Jesus Christ. They've never sung a Christian hymn. They know nothing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, there's a new survey I just read this week from the American Bible Society that said that 70% that of born-again Christians do not believe that Christ is really the only way to heaven, that there are other ways to get there. And, and, and we've lost a couple of generations. So if our task is to preach the gospel of Christ, and incidentally, no matter where you're listening, what I'm going to say today translates all cultures. It's cross-cultural. 
We ought to know what these folks are thinking. Many of us have studied the culture. In fact, some people study the culture so much that they fall into it themselves. But when you study these lost generations, I've narrowed it down to five characteristics of their lives. What is it that they're thinking? What is it that makes them tick? For if we're going to reach them with the gospel of Christ, we need to know what they're thinking, where they are. You know what the number one characteristic of their life, the number one quest of their life, the number one search of their life, they're searching for a meaningful relationship in life. Some of you here right now, that's what you're doing. There are a lot of folks who've never known a meaningful relationship in life, particularly, for example, with a male figure. That's why so many young girls and guys go out and, and, and fall into promiscuity. They're on a search for a meaningful relationship in life. These generations are the product of massive divorce, and many of them are homesick for a home they've never known, and they're on a search, and they may not be able to articulate it, but what they're looking for, they're searching for a meaningful relationship in life, and many of them have never known one. Here's the second characteristic. They want immediate gratification. Give it to me. Give it to me right now. You see, they grew up in a world unlike the one I grew up in. When I was a kid and I was doing homework and I needed to write a paper, I had to walk over there where that Encyclopedia Britannica was. It was so big, pick it up, almost get a hernia by the time I got back to my desk carrying it, then look it up and go. Now all they do is Google it and it's right there. The answer to anything, immediate gratification. When I was a kid, we made popcorn, but you know what? You're not going to believe this. We had to take kernels, old hard kernels of corn, put them in a skillet, put some oil in there, put a screen over it, shake it till your elbow fell off, and in about 20 minutes you'd have pop. Now they just throw it in the microwave, 30 seconds later they got popcorn. They, they live in a world of instant gratification. That's why credit card debt is paralyzing some of you. Because you see something you want, you want immediate gratification, you just put the plastic down and don't think about it. The fact you're going to have to one day pay for it. Some of you need plastic surgery. And in one or two other ways, maybe too. So they're searching for a meaningful relationship in life. They want immediate gratification. What's the third characteristic of their life? They want something for nothing. Give it to me, but give it to me right now, but without cost and without condition. Because they've grown up in a world on both ends of the socioeconomic spectrum where that's what they've been taught. On the higher, wealthy, socioeconomic spectrum, many of them have been raised by parents. When they were 16, they got a brand new shiny car. When they went to college, all their bills were paid, and some of them are 35 years old and still on daddy's payroll. And they think they're entitled. On the other end of that spectrum, we've had government programs literally that have fed this mentality that we're entitled to something for nothing. And so we pay people to not work sometimes. So here they are. They're searching for a meaningful relationship in life. They want immediate gratification. They want something for nothing. Fourth, now, this is the strangest one of all to me. 
because they've been brought up by and large in a culture that's taught them there are no moral absolutes, so relativism is rampant in their thinking processes, but they're searching for guilt-free living. They still have a conscience. And at night when they turn the light off and are lying there in the darkness, they still live with a haunting longing that some moment could be lived over, that they could get free, forgiven, as we sang a moment ago, that their chains could fall off. And there's one final characteristic. They're thirsty for prosperity, but they just don't know whether they're going to be obtaining. They're going to be the first couple of generations in American history that by and large are going to raise their kids in homes that are not as nice as the ones in which they were raised. And they're thinking, how am I going to provide for these kids? How am I going to get them to college? How am I going to do this? What and they're thirsty for prosperity. What they've known is they've grown up. They just don't know how they're going to provide it for theirs. And so here we are. There they are, five characteristics, searching for meaningful relationships in life, want immediate gratification, want something for nothing, want guilt-free living, and they're thirsty for prosperity. They just don't know how they're going to find it. Who has the answer? Who has the answer? Let me, let me tell you. Now, you're going to say, here comes some big preacher talk. But it's the truth. Who has it? We are the only ones that have the answer. And I can prove it to you in one single verse of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Listen to what it says. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Just look at that verse for a moment. What is the first characteristic that I mentioned of those folks? They're searching for a meaningful relationship in life. Look at the first two words of Ephesians 1.7. In him. The very thing for which they're searching for is found in him. What we're about this morning is not some ritual. We're not about religion. What we're about is a relationship, a vital living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't say in good works we have redemption. It doesn't say in our own human efforts we have redemption. It doesn't say in, in who we know we have redemption or what we've done we have redemption. It says in him we have redemption. Now, I want to share something with you. Remember this if you don't remember anything else. You only have three relationships in life. I don't care who you are, where you are, what country you're living in and watching this service right now. Every single one of us have this in common. We only have three relationships in life. There's the outward expression. That's the relationship we have with each other, at home, at the office, at church, in the social arena, where we're made to connect with one another in these outward expressions of interpersonal relationships. You know, at the end of every great creative act, God stopped and spoke, remember? You remember what he said? That's good. He, he, he put the stars in place. He said, that's good. He, he, he made the sea, and he said, that's good. He made the land, he said, that. he divided the sea and land. He said, that's good. He made the vegetation life, he said, that's good. And he made man, and he said, something else. You know what he said? Not good. That's what he said. 
It's not good for man to be alone. We are made to connect with each other in the dynamic of these interpersonal outward relationships. So you have an outward relationship. You have another relationship. It's what I call the inward relationship. That's the relationship you have with yourself. You get up in the morning and shave. You get up in the morning, put on your makeup. You, get on, you look at yourself in the mirror. And you have a relationship with yourself. Self-worth, self-respect, whatever you want to call it. But you have a relationship with yourself. And you know, after a, after a half a century of marriage, this lady on the front row, the few arguments we've ever had that I, and I started all of them, I'm sure. But you know what was happening? I was, I was angry with myself. Something happened to the office or something happened. I got, I, I was not feeling good. And I'd just go home and project it off on her. So you have a relationship with yourself. But there's one other relationship. Now, this is an awesome and we're so close to it, some of us forget it. But we, this is what dis distinguishes and it differentiates us from all the other created order. We have the capacity to enter into an upward relationship with God through Jesus Christ and know him in the intimacy of father and child. So what's the bottom line? We're never going to be properly related to each other until we're properly related to ourselves. And you are never going to be properly related to yourselves until you rediscover how indescribably valuable you are to God and come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and find your self-worth in Him, in Christ. That's what Paul said, in Him. Christ in me, he said, that's my hope of glory. And when you find your self-worth in Christ, you know what will happen? You'll begin to translate that to others in meaningful relationships. The very thing for which they're searching, a meaningful relationship in life. We're the only ones that have the answer, and they will never find it unless they come and find it through Jesus Christ. Some think the Lord Jesus came to teach us great lessons and platitudes. No, he came to bring us into a relationship with God. He came to save us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What did Jesus say in Luke 19.10? He said, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. Say that word, lost. Say it again. Lost. One more time. Lost. Lost. That's what people without Christ are. They're not unreached people groups. They're not seekers. They're lost beyond hope, beyond Christ, beyond time, beyond eternity. Lost forever. Lost. So here's this great, some of you in this room this morning, you're searching for a meaningful relationship in life, and God brought you here today to show you that you'll never have a meaningful relationship in life unless you begin that relationship with Jesus Christ. What's the second characteristic? They want immediate gratification. Look at the next phrase. In him we have redemption. It doesn't say we hope for redemption. 
It doesn't say in him we wish someday we'll be redeemed. It doesn't say in, in, in him we think we have redemption. It says in him we have redemption. Present, active, indicative in the language of the New Testament means it's happening right now, immediate gratification right now in Jesus Christ. You know, I came to know Christ when I was 17. Never heard a prayer in my home. Never saw the Bible open in my home. Grew up in Fort Worth, Texas, where the largest theological seminary in the world was. And didn't know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were books of the Bible. And a young man witnessed to me after a basketball game, took me to a, a Bible-believing church the next Sunday morning. I heard the gospel for the first time in my life. And as a 17-year-old young man came and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And you know what happened? It was like immediate gratification. Immediately. Something happened. God changed my desires. Places I used to like to go on Friday night, I had no more desire doing. Things I never thought I'd want to do. Like hang around a bunch of people who look like you in church. <laughs> I found my greatest joy in doing. And you know, I bet it was months before I heard the word repentance. But I know I repented that morning because immediately I started hating what I used to love and loving what I used to hate. Immediate gratification. That's what happens when you come to faith in Christ. Folks see you filing into this building on Broadway today, and they say, if they think anything about us at all, you know what they think? They think we're all hunkered down here in the corner with Pastor Tim and Cindy, and we're wringing our hands singing when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing it will be. They don't know what we're about is right now. The very thing they're searching for. Immediate gratification in Christ right now. What's the third characteristic? Remember, they want something for nothing. Give it to me. Give it to me right now, but without cost or condition. Look at the next phrase. In him, we have redemption through his blood. It's already purchased. It, it went on, Christ went on the cross when he said it is finished. He said it is paid in full. Jesus didn't go to the cross and put down a little down payment on your salvation with his blood so you have to work your way and earn your way. He paid your debt in full. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Paid in full. It's not by his power, as magnificent as it was. It's not by his life, as majestic as it was. It's not by his love, as never one ever loved. It's not by his teaching, as never one. It's by and through his blood that he purchased your redemption. You can't earn it. No matter how good you try to be, you don't deserve it. It's God's free gift, the free offer of the gospel. He purchased it for you. It's already paid in full. The very thing for which you're searching. Later, here in the next chapter in Ephesians, you know what we're going to read? It says, he who was far off has been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. Pastor Tim mentioned uh, 1 Peter this morning. You know what Peter says in his first epistle? He says, we're not redeemed with corruptible things. 
such as silver and gold from our vain conversations received by tradition of our fathers, but by the precious blood of Jesus, slain as a lamb without blemish and spot. Go to the cross. See him dying your death so you can live his life. See him taking your sin so you can take his righteousness. See him shedding blood from his brow and his hands and his feet and his side. And you'll say with Isaac, watch when I survey the wondrous cross in which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt all on my pride. Stay there a moment. Look at him. Open your eyes and you'll complete the song. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my own. Some of you are searching for a meaningful relationship in life. Immediate gratification. Something for nothing. Listen, Christ is the only one that has the answer for you. Search all you want to. You're never going to find it apart from him. What's the fourth characteristic? They want guilt-free living. Look at the next phrase in 1-7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. The very thing you're searching for. Your chains to fall off. To be forgiven. Christ is the only one that can do that. He's the only one that can do the very thing for which you are searching. Sin will haunt you. Remember what David prayed in Psalm 51? He said, my sin is what? Ever before me. It's there. It's always there. It will haunt you. Sin will haunt you. You know what guilt is? Now, there are two kinds of guilt, so I want to make sure you know what I'm talking about. There is authentic guilt. When you've sinned and you get that guilt feeling, you ever had that guilt feeling? Well, if, if you're lying, if you say you haven't, okay? That's authentic guilt. But there's another kind of guilt. It's artificial guilt. You know that some people are paralyzed by artificial guilt. Maybe they've been abused as a child and lived in silence for decades thinking that something they did must have perpetrated that evil act. That is artificial. That is not true. But I'm talking about authentic guilt. When we sin and we get that guilt thing, you know what guilt is? Guilt is the voice of God. And you know what it says? You have sinned. That's what it says. It's the voice of God. You, get a, you, you sin, you get guilt. That's the voice of God speaking to your heart saying, you have sinned. What is confession? If we confess our sin, 1 John 1, 9, he is, he is good to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. What is confession? Well, guilt is God's voice saying you have sinned. Confession Homo legeo is a Greek word. It means to say the same as God says, to agree with God. So when you confess your sin, God's guilt says you have sinned, and, and confession says, I agree with you, God. It's not some little vice I can keep laughing off. It's not something I can keep minimizing by saying, well, it's not as bad as so-and-so's, and it's not something I can keep excusing by saying everybody's doing it. It is so serious. It necessitated the cross. What happens then when God says you have sinned and we agree with God? 
To agree with God means to agree with him about our sin. We sin. To agree with him about salvation, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by his mercies he has saved us. To agree with him about ourself, we're not good enough to get there on our own. What happens then when we confess? He forgives. That word forgive, a theomy in Greek, you know what it means? It means to send away. It's used, the same word's used when Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law's fever at Capernaum, and it says the fever left her, didn't come back. It's the same word that we find in the Septuagint where the high priest would put his hands on the, on the scapegoat and translate the sins of the people into that scapegoat and send it out into the wilderness never to return. That's what God does when we confess. I don't care who you are, what you've done. Some of you have come here today harboring sin. It's like a chain around you. And it can, be, it can fall off today. That's God's voice to your heart right now saying, listen, you've been blaming him on everything else. You have sinned. Confession says, I agree. And when you say that and when you confess, God will take your sin and as the psalmist said, he'll remove it from you as separate it from you as far as what? The east from the west. Aren't you glad he said that and not north and south? There's an end of the north and the south. There's a north pole and a south pole. There's no end of the east and west. He'll remove your sin and remember it no more. The very thing for which you're searching, we're the only ones that have the answer. It's in Christ. And there's one final word. They're thirsty for prosperity. They just don't know where they're going to get it. Look at the last phrase. In him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his marvelous grace. See that preposition according to? You know, there are over a dozen prepositions in Greek in which the New Testament was written. Every word of God is pure. I'm so glad that God recorded this one. That he didn't use, for example, that Greek preposition ek that means out of. It doesn't say out of the riches of his grace. If I came to Pastor Tim and said, Tim, uh, thank you for letting me be here at Times Square again today. I've got a $10 bill here in my pocket and I give Tim a $10 bill. I would be giving him out of my riches. I got I still am old-fashioned enough. I carry checks. I got a check in my pocket. Don't get your hopes up now. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but if I took that check, that blank check, and just wrote my name on the bottom of it and handed it to Pastor Tim and said, you and Cindy fill in whatever you need right there, then I would have given him, look, according to the riches of his grace. Jesus, God didn't send his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, because we kept begging him and pleading with him to do it. It's all grace. It's all his grace. You know the difference between grace and mercy? Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Thank God for it. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. And God is rich in grace. Paul said it this way. He said, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that he who was rich 
for your sake became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. The very thing they're looking for, true riches in life. I mean, real riches in life that measure throughout eternity are only found in the person of Jesus Christ. So as I close, what am am I saying? Let me boil it down to one phrase. The something you think you need is really someone. And his sweet name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you, some of you looking for hope. Some of you just need hope. And you're on a search for hope and you're never going to find it because hope comes in finding Jesus, who is our hope. Some of you need comfort. And you put all your attention on how I'm going to be comforted. No, find Christ. He is your comfort. Some of you need direction in life and guidance, and you're looking for it in all the wrong places. Come to Jesus, and the Bible says he will make known to you the path of life. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Searching for a meaningful relationship in life. That's what some of you are doing right now here in this room and around the world. It's in him. That's the only way you're going to find it. By coming to Jesus Christ, realizing that he has paid your sin debt in full. No one ever loved you that much. And that he will forgive you today of anything and everything you've ever done. And you can begin the great adventure this morning that you were created for in the first place and find hope and peace when you come to know him. Let's bow our hearts together all over this room. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. In just a moment, I'm going to ask Pastor Tim to come now. Lead us in a prayer whereby you can tell God what is in your heart. If you're searching for a meaningful relationship in life, if you want immediate gratification, if you want something for nothing, if you you want guilt-free living, if, if you're looking for prosperity, you can find it this morning in Christ, and you can walk out of this room a brand new person in Jesus Christ. As we pray, and as Tim leads us, hallelujah, with every head bowed and every eye closed, whether you're watching online or here today, And you're going, I want that relationship that OS is talking about. I want to start that brand new relationship with God today. It's a journey with God today. And I want that relationship with him. If that's you, online or in person, you said, as we get ready to pray, if you're here today and say, when you pray that prayer, Pastor Tim, I want to start that journey with God today. I want to be in the words of Jesus. I want to be born again. We're not inviting you to a membership or a denomination. We're not even inviting you to a religion. We're inviting you to a relationship with the most important being in the universe, God himself. And that can happen right now. We're all going to pray this together. But if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, in the balcony main floor, if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, would you include me in that prayer? I won't make you stand right now. I'm not going to make you come forward. We have some COVID protocol. But if you say today exactly what OS is talking about that forgiveness.
according to his riches and grace, which cost God his own son for me. And today I get to experience that. I want to experience that today with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you say today, would you include me in that prayer today as you get ready to pray, Pastor Tim, without any hesitation, would you just hold up your hand and say, include me in that prayer. Hold it up as high as you can, because I want to make sure I see every hand that's up. Keep them up high. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, balcony, let me make sure, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29. That's fantastic. You could put your hands down. God bless every single one of you. If you're online, just put in the chat line the word decided and say wherever you're at from around the world, if you're, if you're watching from Belize or Spain or France or Trinidad, if you're in Kenya or Nigeria, you just put in that chat line, I'm deciding to pray that prayer. Come on, let's all say this together. Say this with me out loud. Come on, church. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me, so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Okay, come on, say this with me loud. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.